0: it is great to see you all today and wonderful to worship a risen savior amen amen Amen. so the last time we were in the book of james i shared part one of a message entitled the great equalizer a wonderful opportunity and an important question we all need to answer now the title was a mouthful to say the least our primary passage is james chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 And since it's been a couple of weeks, I'm going to take the next probably five to seven minutes and do my best to reset the table so that we can all move forward on the same page from there. So the book of James, it confronts the unethical behavior of Christians. And it shows how two pieces, spiritual maturity and wisdom, are essential for right living. For a person to do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, with the right motivation, he or she must be undivided between their beliefs and their behavior. There doesn't need to be any hypocrisy. There needs to be absolute integrity. It needs to be that what you see is what you get and what you get is what God desires. And James says it's only that type of person. It's only that person who is living with integrity that is gonna be able to overcome prejudice, produce good works, respond obediently to God's word, effectively resist temptation, and all of the other wonderful pieces that are mentioned throughout the book of James. Now, according to chapter one, both spiritual maturity as well as wisdom are developed in the context of trials. Just as much as rough seas make good sailors, so trials make mature Christians. We need the trials. It is in the trials, it is in the problems, it's in the issues and the junk of life that we all try to avoid, but it's gonna find us anyway. It's in that context that we learn how to walk as disciples of Jesus Christ. We learn what right living is to be like. And as hard as it might be in the moments we can look at those moments and consider it all joy because we know that in the process of all the difficulties, God is going to use that for our good and for his glory. And James goes as far as to say, not only do you count it all joy, but we are to know that the testing of our faith produces endurance. And when endurance has its perfect result, you and I will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We will be spiritually mature. That's all good news. But between now and the moment of being spiritually mature, where we are perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, he says, if you don't know what to do, if you don't know how to frame it well, ask God for wisdom and faith, and he will give it generously and without reproach. That's what this text is telling us. Now, everything to this point has been unbelievably personal in nature. That is, each person is to count it all joy. Each individual is to see trials from God's perspective. Each believer is to let endurance have its perfect result. And at the same time, when we get into bind, every single one of us is responsible to ask God for wisdom. It's all been an exercise in personal devotion between you and God. It's you and God. But listen, at some point in the process... What is personal will go public. God's work in us was never intended to stay with us. Eventually, God begins to work through our lives to accomplish his will, his purpose, his mission in the world that is around us. So when that happens, what he did for us at salvation and what he is doing in us by sanctification will be foundational in what he does through us in service to others now here's what james does james does a masterful job of packaging that entire process of spiritual maturity all the pieces from one end to the other and he says this in verses 9 through 11 now let's apply that to two specific groups of people those believers who are poor and going through trials that's one context and he says, and let's also apply it to those believers who are rich in worldly possessions and they're also going through trials. Now that's going to carry everyone in between. He says, I want you to see how this is now lived out at both ends of the socioeconomic spectrum. And here's what we found last time we were in this text. Trials are no respecter of persons. They come for all of us. Now how we go through the trials is going to tell the world something about us, something about our values, something about our beliefs, and also something about our God. The question becomes, what message is the world going to hear? The question is, by the time our story is done, will the world be able to see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven? Matthew chapter 5. Now for that to happen, something in this process, something in how we're living, something in how we're walking through trials needs to be different and desirable for the world to see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. And James tells us how that combination is achieved. Here's what he says. Poor Christians, you are to glory in your high position in Christ. When you're going through trials, rejoice that the true riches of heaven cannot be taken away. Worldly wealth does not determine our position before God. Our position was secured by Jesus on the cross. And then he talks to the the rich believers and he says, For the rich believer, you are to remember that resources are there, but God is ultimately our source. It is foolish to depend upon our resources that come and go and not to depend upon God who owns all and knows all and controls all. Ultimately, wealth does not bring God closer, nor does poverty keep him further away. Our position in Christ is all that matters. Now, all of this text reminds us of three important pieces. One, everyone goes through trials regardless of wealth. second is our trials bring us back to God who is our security as well as our source. Oh, and here's the key one. Third, and the world is watching how we respond. Listen to me, believers. The world does not need to see and to hear religious catchphrases and meaningless platitudes. The world does not need to see Christians acting the exact same as non-Christians. The world does not need to see a believer who claims that they worship an all-powerful God act as though God doesn't even exist in their circumstances. They need to see something that is different and they need to see something that's desirable. They need to see that God makes a difference in real time. They need to see that joy and peace are not only available, but they are obtainable even in the midst of difficult moments. They need to see unusual wisdom being lived out in really difficult choices. They need to see somebody walking in peace and not having a bunch of knee-jerk reactions to everything around them. They need to see believers who believe that Jesus is Lord and live like Jesus is Lord. That's what they need. Oh, listen though, when they see that, they might not be able to tell you everything that happened, but they can appreciate a consistency and a life that is being well-lived. I got more notes that I've been taking up here that are not in my notes. I'm over here and I'm listening as we worship this morning. And here's what we said. There is nothing better than you. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You are the only one who can. Now, we either just sang a lie or the world's going to test us and find out, did you believe what you just sang? See, the world doesn't care about dead religion. The world's not looking for another religious responsibility on the weekend. The world wants to find out, is Jesus real? Does the gospel change how we live today? And is there any hope for my situation? And if we can deliver that, you don't need marketing on that side. Did you know the gospel made it really well before marketing came into existence? you know what the marketing was then? A changed life. Who people look back and like, I knew that dude before. I knew that sister back in the day. That's not the same person right now. That's what the world needs to see. So here's why this is so beautiful. When we come into a text like this, James is saying, I'm going to challenge you to live exactly what you say you believe. But I'm going to challenge you to live it from both ends of the socioeconomic spectrum. And you're going to see this morning why that's so important. Now hopefully that resets the table enough for us to get into this text. we got a lot to cover today. If you're not already there, go with me in your Bibles. James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. James 1, 9 through 11. Almost everything that we covered the last time, as well as So much of what I've just gone back and and kind of given a review on has been focused primarily on the first part of our title, that is The Great Equalizer. Today we're going to focus on the second part of that. We're going to see how the trials of life, The Great Equalizer, provides a wonderful opportunity as well as it leads to an important question that we all need to answer. So here's what it says, James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in, that is rejoice in, praise God in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in, rejoice in, praise God in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, help us not to walk away from this text without getting exactly what you want us to receive. God, may we be people who are undivided at all points of our life between beliefs and behavior. Lord, may the way we walk through trials be a display of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, we've already talked about how trials are the great equalizer because they impact everyone, rich, poor, and everybody in between. Trials do not check with your bank account before they come. They're coming one way or the other. So whenever it comes to trials, we recognize everyone will experience times of sickness and loss Broken relationships, temptation, stress, hard decisions, accidents, uncertainty, and unless Jesus comes back and takes us with him, we're all gonna see death as well. Trials will bring us all back to a place of dependence upon God where he is our security as well as our source. Now, when a believer is walking, through trials, and they are leaning into Christ. They are living out what they believe. They are undivided between their beliefs and their behavior. When that happens, please hear me, your trials become a showcase for the gospel. As weird as this sounds, trials are a wonderful opportunity, not only for personal growth, but for the public proclamation of the gospel message. That's the wonderful opportunity that I have mentioned up in the title. Our trials are creating a narrative. Our trials are sending a message to the world that's around us. It is opening opportunities for the gospel to be seen in full display. So when we go through hard times, the question becomes, does the billboard of our life tell the story of God's faithfulness? What narrative? is currently being created? Do people around us know that Jesus is enough based upon how we're living right now? Do people around us even know that we're a follower of Jesus Christ? Or listen, or does the billboard of our life send the message that Jesus may be enough for our eternity, but he has no impact upon my decisions every day? What message are we sending? If you're wondering, well, what am I supposed to send? Listen to what James says, he says, for the poor believer, here's the message. He's like, let the billboard of your life tell the world earthly resources have nothing to do with your high position in Christ. Let people know that you can live above your circumstances because this world is temporary and you are secure in your walk in God. Let the world understand that your life is not being lived based upon what's in your account, but you are dependent and you're pursuing and you're excited about God and Jesus is enough for you. Our lives are telling a story. So he tells the poor believers, let your praise, let your praise, here it is, point all eyes back to Jesus. Tell the right story. For the rich believer going through trials, He says, let the billboard of your life tell the world that you're not trusting in your riches. Remain humbly dependent upon God. Let people know that money is not your savior, that your hopes are not based on your efforts, and that your trust, your security, and your satisfaction are solely found in Jesus Christ. Let your humility point all eyes back to Jesus Tell the right story. Our lives are telling a story. And James understood that in difficult moments, when you're scrambling to keep your head above water, in difficult moments, when you're looking everywhere for answers, in difficult moments, listen, he laid it out on the socioeconomic spectrum. In difficult moments, when you're looking at your account and saying, is there enough? Can I get by? Is it going to be enough to get to where I need to be? In those moments, here's what James understood. The poor believer going to look at that account and say, I'm not going to make it. He says, lift your eyes up above that account. Look at your position in Christ. Look at where you are seated. Your heavenly Father has you. Tell the right story. Now listen, James has a word for the rich believer in that moment as well. When that believer is looking at their account saying, I think I can make it. I think there's enough. We're going to be okay. He says, oh, remember, the rich man will also fade away. Look in the text. He says he will pass away, verse 10. Verse 11, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Please note that in this text, it's not even talking about the fact that resources fade away. And we know that's the case. If you have not looked at your 401k recently, I would not encourage you to do that without a good friend sitting by. Money leaves fast. Fast. Scripture tells us that. Proverbs 23, 4, and 5 in the New Living Translation, it says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. I'm going to tell you, there's been a lot of eagles coming out of my account recently. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 19, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal? Listen, the narrative of Scripture is not, listen, it is not that there's anything wrong with having wealth. The narrative of Scripture is there's something wrong when wealth has us. There's something wrong when we are living for the dollar, when we're focused on money as our source of dependence. There's something wrong whenever money corrupts and money distracts and money becomes an idol. And here's the crazy part. It's just temporary. You can't take any of it with you. So listen. See, it's true money leaves. It goes fast. But that's not even what James is talking about here. He's focused on the rich believer. And he says he will pass away, verse 10. Verse 11, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Listen, did you notice it said in the midst of his pursuits? This individual is going on about their life. They're making deals, they're making money, they're running their business, they're handling everything, and then they're not. In a moment, this life is over and they're in eternity. And just like that, whatever's sitting in your bank accounts has no bearing upon your position. The question becomes, when you stand before your creator, what will your story be? The question becomes, will your story be, I did it all myself. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. Will your story be, you gave me these things and I've used them in order to make sure my family's taken care of, or will your story be that people can look back and say, all I can tell you about that person, yes, they had resources, but they never let it get in the way of pursuing Jesus. Yes, they were financially blessed, but they prayed like they had nothing. Yes, that individual had worldly wealth, but they still brought all of their needs before God. They were still dependent upon him. What will the story be? Now, let's come back to this wonderful trial, this wonderful opportunity. Not only are trials a wonderful opportunity for spiritual growth and wisdom, because we've already talked about, that's the context that we grow in each of those. But trials are a wonderful opportunity to boldly live the gospel we claim to believe. Now we're gonna pull this one out. By the way, if God gives me a chance to share with you all what he's been sharing with me out of this text, it'll change everything in your life from the moment you see it in his word either the word of God is going to change us or we will ignore what the word of God says and you're going to resist what the spirit of God is leading in your life. So here's what I want you to see. We can and we should tell people about everything that God has done for us. We should share with people why the gospel message is true. As parents who have little kids, sometimes you've had to say, use your words. For believers, we need to use our words. We need to be vocal in this. We need to praise God. We need to rejoice in. We need to glorify God in what he has done in our lives. And whenever you're sharing with somebody else those pieces, you'll find that many times people will just listen and they'll wait. It's not that they're turned off by what you're saying. It's not that they're uninterested in spiritual matters. It's just really hard for a lot of people to make the connection between how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection 2,000 years ago has any real bearing on how we live today. They, They just don't understand that. And for that person to make the connection, the gospel, when you're saying it, it sounds like religious ideas to believe that will help you when you die. Now, they're not entirely wrong, because let's be honest, what you believe about the gospel will help you when you die, amen? Amen. What you believe about the gospel determines where you spend eternity, in the presence of God in heaven or away from the presence of God in hell. So yes, 100%, it does impact that. But listen, the gospel is not only critical in death. This is one of the areas where the church historically has done a poor job of sharing the fullness of the gospel message. We've not helped people see how the gospel is indispensable in a believer's life today. When the emphasis of the gospel has been on heaven when we die and not on right relationship with God that starts today and lasts through eternity... We make it sound as though the gospel is good news in eternity, but it is meaningless in this life. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is so beautiful. It is the good news. Listen, it's the good news of God's design for you and I. That happened in creation. It is the good news of how sin intruded this plan. That happened at the fall. And it's the good news of what Jesus has done to rightly restore us to our heavenly Father. That happened on the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When somebody gets that and they, mm, all right, we got to take this off. My preaching muscles are hurting right now. Listen, when somebody gets the fact that his life Death and resurrection is not just good news in eternity, but it is to change how I live with my family. It is to change how I walk through death. It is to change what happens when I've got no money. It is to change how I live when I do got money. It is to change how I treat my neighbor. It is to change how I live my life and how I serve others and what my convictions are. When somebody understands that, it changes things. We don't need more dead Christians. The quota for dead Christians has already been met. We need somebody who knows Jesus and lives in accordance with that knowledge. Listen, this is the part we struggle. We struggle to share with people. If we fully believe that knowing God should change everything about our life, then the gospel has to change everything. And listen... When we share that, and if we share it effectively, it's what the world is asking the entire time. See, the world's having a hard time understanding this, and believers have a hard time understanding this. They, they look as though believing the gospel is a set of truths to accept that help us in death. But believing the gospel is about knowing and following Jesus And he changes everything today throughout eternity. Now let's go back to these trials and wonderful opportunity. Trials give us the opportunity to show that the gospel changes everything and everyone. Okay, back on what we've already said. When we verbalize, when we say with our mouths, God changed my life. Jesus saved me. I am secure, I am loved, I am forgiven, I am blessed. That's all good and it's all true. When we say, God calms me, he gives me a peace that passes understanding. He's always with me. Jesus is enough. When we say that, it's all good and it's all true. But here's what the world is saying. Show me show me. Show me what that means. I hear you, but I don't understand how that's lived out. Show me how Jesus matters in real world situations. Show me how in the brokenness and chaos of my life, a relationship with Jesus can actually mean something. Show me how Jesus makes a difference when your spouse dies unexpectedly. Show me how the gospel changes things when you get a pink slip in your locker after 40 years on the job. How is Jesus going to keep my lights on and food on my table next week? Show me how knowing God helps me when I'm battling with anxious thoughts. Show me how your relationship with Jesus helped you overcome the failures of the past because all I know is my past is hunting me down and I can't get away from it. Show me how God can heal a broken marriage. Show me how Jesus can give hope in a hopeless situation. Show me how the gospel helps me forgive someone who hurt me deeply or respond well to that family member that gets on my last nerves. See, that person saying... I know eternity is important, and I want to spend eternity in the presence of God. But can anyone, any believer, any disciple show me how that impacts my life today? The world is not asking for our canned presentations of the gospel. They don't need dead religion. They don't need new burdens. Here's what the world wants to know. Is Jesus real? Does the gospel change anything in this life? And is there any hope that my life can be different? Oh, this is where trials come in. This is the wonderful opportunity. Trials put the gospel message on full display for the world to see. Ready or not, good or bad, our trials reveal what we believe and who we really are. Trials let the world see how Christians live and how Christ makes a difference. Oh, listen to this. In our most vulnerable moments, when the pain is still raw and before we get a chance to put our church face back on. Trials give us an opportunity for that. It's been said who you are under pressure is who you are. Trials bring the pressure and they reveal who we really are. Now we're gonna play this out in a real-world scenario. Let's say you've been inviting your neighbor, your coworker, to church for a long time. You've been praying for that individual. They know that you're a believer. You share some passages with them. You you let them know that that you're there. You, You invite them to church, and they're not turned off. They're just not captivated. And this has been going on for years. But let's also say in a very unfortunate set of circumstances, you go to a doctor and you find out, the doctor says, I've got some really bad news. I don't know how to tell you this, so I'm just going to come out and say it. Your scans have shown that you have an inoperable brain tumor. There's nothing that we can do. As best we tell, you might have six months left to live. When That information hits you, your world, comes to a sudden stop your your mind is filled with questions what do i do who do i tell will my family be okay should i get a second opinion a third opinion what do i need to do at work have i told those that i love that i love them like your your mind is filled with question after question it's overwhelming And yet, in the midst of all of those questions, somehow this thought sinks in. My response will either hurt or help my gospel witness. You don't know where it came from, but you know it's there. It shows up in your mind. It is as clear as can possibly be. You know that how you respond is either going to tell people Jesus is real, or you're going to tell people that he cannot be trusted. And in that moment, you you can't even explain it. God begins a process of removing, removing fear and giving it unbelievable purpose. And here's the thought. It just keeps going over and over in your mind. I've been entrusted with the opportunity to live the gospel in the context of dying. And I want to live it well. So you lean into Jesus. are like, Lord, I don't know how to do this, but you do. So I'm coming to you for wisdom. Will you live it through me? And as you lean into Jesus, you notice that you love people deeper than you've ever loved them before. You notice that your worship is no longer just words out of your mouth. It's the cry of your hearts. You notice in that moment that there's something that's changed. You're not concerned about self. All you're concerned about is making sure that those you love and those you reach know who Jesus is and that there's hope in him. So you keep going back to that same coworker. You go back to that same neighbor and you tell him this, my God is good. You you tell him he's enough. You tell him tell that person, this is what he has done for me. I encourage you to trust in him. And when that person knows your situation and they are listening as you're saying this, here's what's going to happen in that moment. In that moment, listen, the message of the living is still going out into the land of the dying. And people don't have a box to put that in. It's, It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. In a time when most people would say, focus on you. You've only got a little time left, and you're like, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Can I tell you about Jesus? When somebody does that, it is different, and here it is, and it's desirable. You're like, that's how I want to go. I don't want to go out complaining. I don't want to go out saying it's all about me. I want to meet my Savior face to face. And the last words of my life being, he's enough. He's enough. He's enough. So listen, as shocking as that is, when you get a chance to do it, it further validates the message of the gospel you've been sharing. It shows consistency in beliefs and application. The lost world doesn't know what to do with that. Here's what the world is saying. Show me how Jesus changes anything in the real world. And trials give us a chance to say, watch me as I follow Jesus in real time. Wow. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Come, on. Come on. Like Three of you are with me on this, but I'm going to give it to all three of you. <laughs> Listen. The reason this scares us to death and you say paul that seems presumptuous that's what the apostle paul did he said follow me as i follow christ do you know why we don't want to say that because we're not following jesus in a way that we want anybody else to be an example for so what do we do we hide but here the the trials are saying this is an opportunity for the gospel to be on display we get a chance to say, This is what it looks like to follow Jesus in sickness and in sorrow. This is what it looks like to lose everything and still know that Jesus is enough. This is what it looks like to be disrespected at work and passed over for the promotion and not be included because of my d- beliefs, but still love people well and do everything as unto the Lord. This is what it looks like to grieve my friend's death, but not grieve like somebody who has no hope. This this is what it looks like to have an abundance of earthly possessions and still be 100% dependent upon my God. That's what trials give us a chance to do. They put the gospel message on full display for the world to see. It gives windows for the world to look into our life and say, is it real? Does it matter? Is there hope? So here's your key thought for this morning. Every generation needs current examples of what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus and live the gospel under your exact circumstances. I'm going to say that again. Each generation needs current examples of what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus and live the gospel under your exact circumstances. Have you all ever wondered why thousands of new books are coming into Christian bookstores every single year about prayer, the gospel, discipleship, marriage, worship, faith, trusting God? Have you ever wondered why we keep writing more books on topics when there's already tens of thousands of other books that are out there on the same topic? Have you ever wondered why it is that there are songs that are still being written about the faithfulness of God and the glory of the gospel and the character of God and why it is that we can trust him? Have you ever stopped and said, why do we need more? Here it is. Because every generation needs the gospel relived and retold and restated for them. Every generation needs current examples of people who are saying, this is what it looks like. Let me help you frame how you live the gospel here. Let's worship God together. And this is how you worship him with the same truths that have not changed, but a context that has changed. We need current examples. Imagine, watch out, we're coming downstairs. (laughs) Hey, listen, we need it to be that there are believers out there that when you're going through hard times, you can say, if you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus under a blank set of circumstances, you need to talk to so-and-so. Here's the situation. Here's the saint who's living it well before you. We need to sit down with somebody sometimes and say, I see it in the Word. I don't know how to live that out. And for that person to say, by the grace of God, this is what he's taught me. This is how I walk through that set of circumstances. We need current examples, mentors, men and women of God who understand the gospel deeply and are living the gospel at every stage of their life. If we don't have that, oh, we're doing—we're we're giving religious catchphrases. Yeah. 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 God shuts a door; He opens a window. God works in mysterious ways. You know how sometimes God works—believers who love Jesus and are willing to live the gospel. That's the mystery of our time right now. Where are those believers at? So that question now comes into, or that statement comes into our big question at this point. And this is the last part of your title. And that is, it's this important question we all need to answer. Today, today, are my actions clearly telling the world that God is my source? And the gospel changes everything. We're all telling a story. The question is, what story are we telling? Trials become the marketing for the story of our life. They grab people's attention and focus them in on exactly what it is that you say you believe. Trials put the gospel on full display for the world to see. So what story are we telling? Whatever you're walking through today, regardless of what you got in your bank account today, get this, you are perfectly positioned by God so that he can tell his story through you. Perfectly positioned. Imagine this for just a moment. Could it be that you are the only person in your circle of influence going through what you're going through But God has entrusted you with what it looks like to live the gospel well before those around you. Those around you might not see that same set of circumstances for 10, 20, 30 more years. But God is giving us an opportunity to live it well. When the world is saying, show me how Jesus changes anything in the real world. Trials give us a chance to say, watch me is I follow Jesus in real time. I'm gonna ask you if you would to bow your heads for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Everything that we have been talking about at this point is completely focused on the gospel message. Everything that James keeps walking us back to is making sure there is a consistency between what we believe and how we behave. There's going to be people in the room right now that they, they don't even know what the gospel is. They, they've heard the term. They, they know it's something religious, something to do with Jesus. They just don't know what it is. So here's the gospel message as simple as I can put it. Humanity was created for relationship with God. That's why we're here. Our sin separated us from that relationship. There was nothing that we could do to make things right ourselves. But Jesus did for us what we could never do. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose from the dead three days later that we might have life. And he offers eternal life, a reconciled relationship, to those who will turn from their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the story of how you and I can step into our created purpose. We were created to know God. The gospel helps us know how that's possible. So there's going to be some people right now that you have never had a moment in your life that you have repented of your sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you With every ounce of energy in my body, if the Spirit of God is prompting you today, you need to get that taken care of. Do not walk out of this room without getting that taken care of. We're going to have pastors, and some of our pastor's wives will be along the front. There's going to be also different counselors who will be a part of this service. There's somebody here who can walk you through the steps of what the gospel is. All you would have to do is just simply say, I need to get this taken care of, would you help me understand the gospel? And they will be glad to help. There's others in this room right now that you've been going through some stuff. And I don't want them to take away from the impact of what you've been going through. But maybe you've not been looking at the stewardship of your situation. You get a chance to steward the hard moment well what will your story be there's people around you who need to see the gospel lived in your exact situation are you going to steward the situation well there might be people right now in the room that you're saying paul i I don't know that i necessarily have a big situation in my life but i want to live the gospel well in my marriage i want to live it in my family I want to live it well in the community. I don't know where you might be in this, but I cannot encourage you enough to do exactly what James has been teaching the whole time. Be undivided between your beliefs and your behaviors. And if you're saying, I don't even know where to begin, here's where you begin. Say, God, give me wisdom to see the problems that need to be addressed. He is faithful to answer our prayers. So we're going to have a word of prayer The altar will be open, the invitation's gonna be open, we're gonna be singing a final song. My heart is that the Spirit of God simply leads you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. We recognize that week after week, we sing of the glory, the wonder of the gospel. Oh God, may we actually live it in each situation, each moment. May our lives be a beautiful billboard that validates, authenticates, points all eyes back to the fact that gospel is true and that Jesus is enough. Lord, anything that gets in the way of that, God, loosen our grip on it and remove it from our lives. May we be a people who live on mission and live out the gospel. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we sing The Altar Is Open?